Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd. Welcome to the How to Live Podcast Uncut. Today is the fourth episode of completing a series called Keeping Heart, the focus of which is that which binds us together is greater, actually, than that which can tear us apart. And in this season of our society and our daily lives, we have in many ways been torn away from over a period of many years and have forgotten the substance of how we're made, which is created to bring us into community with ourselves, others, and God. So today, I'll conclude with the last sections that I want to share related to uh, the keeping heart. And as I close, I want to remind you uh, that this series comes from Keeping Heart, the book. So I really support anyone who has found any interest in these last four podcasts. Please uh, get on Amazon and order Keeping Heart. It is a, a book worth the time, and uh, I think once one of the better things I've done related to the substance and specifics of how we're created. Uh, and uh, I think it's very important from the standpoint of the reminder or returning to what we've forgotten so we can get back to what we're made to remember, which is how alike we're created. So with that said, I want to talk today about the order of living and then end with um, the great sadness. Uh, Starting with the order of living, there really is a specific process of how we're shaped to organize our lives. So the order of living first, we are created to participate in a certain order of living and if it it's goes one, two, three, four, uh, it's a ranking, actually. There's God, number one, self, number two, loved ones, number three, and then others, number four. And God has created the heart as an emotional and spiritual core within each of us that actually needs the God who made us. In order to love well those who we love much, We must draw nutrients from a God who actually feeds our hearts, God who gives us strength and actually helps shape our purpose and character through relationship with him. Simply, we cannot give what we do not have. And how amazing it is that we can draw from the creator of the universe to give us the strength to live in uh, daily life. We need God to live beyond our defensiveness, our own survival skills, and need God to supply us with strength, purpose, and love beyond our own abilities to create it. We need to be able to have what we wish to offer. And if to do so, we must be able to draw on God and others to fill the self so that it may overflow into the lives of loved ones. We cannot give out of emptiness. We're created to give out of substance or fullness. So following God after God, number one, and um, the heart is made to draw from God, then we're capable, as number two, giving to whomever is three, to love beyond uh, ourselves. The the number three people, uh, that person or those people 
They are actually our people, and they look to us for what they do not have. So we, we cannot give what we do not have, and so that we draw from the well of God and we're able to pour into their lives what they do not have. But to grow into someone who can give and receive love, others we love must also be third. And we must be third to the people who we love the most also. So it's a beautiful ranking when we give uh, the people we love to God and support us in being three to their two, them having God as number one, that order of life actually brings us the most by being least in so many ways. So that's the, the order of living is God, self, loved ones, and others. And then we take that order and we apply it to the process. The, the process of living fully, loving deeply, and leading well requires that we surrender to how life on life's terms works. Simply, we don't have control of life, and yet we carry eternity in our hearts. So there's automatically a struggle there. We are nevertheless, in spite of what we don't have control of, we're born to live fully in life without all the answers and certainly without omnipotent control. We can live life on life's terms by surrendering to the process, which, which is there to allow us to live well, even, even though we don't have control. We do so by keeping heart amid all the pain and struggle of creaturely life. We have been created to bring ourselves to the process of living fully in a particular pathway that has been traveled by many people before us. Surrendering to this process has three movements using the order that I just discussed. The first movement is being, B-E-I-N-G, being who we are created to be as relational creatures. Being then leads to doing, doing what we are created to do, meaning we participate in the actions that lead to dreams coming to reality, requiring feelings, needs, desire, longings, and hope. Lastly, being and doing, the first movement and the second movement, develop into having what we are created to have which is the fulfillment of having offered ourselves to living, loving, and leading. If we are nurtured to keep heart, we can surrender to a mission greater than ourselves and experience the gratification of harvesting the fruits of our own hearts. Being, doing, and having are the movements of how the process works for, for our own fulfillment amid all the vicissitudes of life. This is an inside-out form of growth and in, in, in life. We grow from the inside-out being, then doing, and then we wind up having what we're created to have. We respond to life as we are created by, by being. We take action according to our internal awareness and makeup, which is doing. And then we attain the experiences of life that create relational and experiential fulfillments, having being, doing, and having are the ways to live fully in a life outside of our control. However, all too often, we get swept up in attempts to take control of the process, refusing life on life's terms. In doing so, we end up adopting an inverted way of living based on performance and control. Once a person is a performance-based or has a performance-based existence, that existence takes over, that focus takes over. 
And for the sake of survival, we wind up getting trapped in an assumption that if we do enough, we will wind up having enough to be acknowledged as being someone of worth. So things become uh, the opposite of what we're born to be like. The performance value system is an attempt to have control over life and control over our neediness of others and God. It is, an, it is an impaired outcome of our early dissociation from our feelings, needs, belongings, desire, and hope. In other words, our being. Doing so we can have, so we can become somebody, can easily displace being, doing, and having. We will always partially live in conflict with surrendering to life on its own terms, which is the process. We'll always be in conflict with that. It's a struggle. It is hard to do. And we, all more, and we all want more control than we have. The great tragedy, though, is when our hearts become hardened against surrendering to or accepting that there is a process that is greater than us, yet one in which we can fully and humbly struggle to participate in. The struggle for connection is, is the main struggle of, of, that allows us to strive to thrive fully in a world that's beckoning and pushing us to survive only. So separation from heart is what breaks our, our connection or creates disconnection. As we develop cognitively throughout childhood and further on, most of us will become to some degree separated from our hearts. When separation from our hearts occurs, our thoughts are used to suppress the heart rather than express the heart. In order to suppress the heart, we often begin practicing thoughts of judgment against ourselves. We assess ourselves with the, quote, low grades, unquote, of bad, stupid, or weak for having feelings, needs, desire, longings, or hope. And by extension, we minimize the dreams, wishes, and imaginings that grow out of the heart's core characteristics. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. Believing that the heart is ridiculous or foolish tends to be the only explanation a child can conclude about the unnourished heart as to giving a reason for how come they're not being fed or how come somehow their desires are not congruently met by the desires of the big people who have experienced a lot of life. The only offering a child can bring to relationships are feelings, needs, desire, longings, and hope. Therefore, they decide that something must be wrong or reproachable about their own true selves. Again, what is not affirmed by the caregiver is often discarded by the one in need of care. The good news, however, is that what we try to discard through judgment against ourselves actually has been stored within us. Our hearts await our, our return by, by rediscovering how we're created. Our hearts await a, a reassociation so that we can be restored to who we are created to be and become. This reassociation happens when we use our thought processes to listen to the heart 
rather than graded. The sickness we become, however, happens as we become isolative, ignorant, and sick when the heart becomes subordinated to the functions that are created to serve the expression of the heart. For example, the brain, as I've spoken of in other podcasts, one of the main purposes of the brain is to express or articulate the dreams of the heart. Another main purpose of the brain is to be able to express neediness or feelings or desire or longings or hope that allow us to connect to other humans and God. But the brain, the stomach, the skin, and the genitals are actually created to serve the heart's fulfillment in relational ways, not replace or supersede the way we are created. For example, the brain that is not used to be able to articulate the dreams of the heart will often be used to suppress, block, or uh, uh, disregard uh, the expressions of the heart. Instead of the brain being used to cry out, we'll use our brains to hide out. Instead of feeling our way through things, we'll spend our lives trying to figure out how relationship works instead of being who we're made to be, doing what we're made to do, and wind up having what we're made to have. So isolation, though, occurs when one denies and dissociates from the heart. Ignorance is a practice we develop by spending time ignoring our hearts or following the lead of others who do the same. We eventually become sick when we use our stomachs, our brains, our skin, and our genitals to do the work of the heart. Disorders of eating, fantasies of escaping reality, cutting, alcohol, thrill-seeking, sexual compulsion, demands, obsession on security, and religious legalism are just a few examples of our attempts to quell the heart's neediness in counterfeit ways to avoid the vulnerability of what uh, the struggle of life cost us to succeed. All of these experiences are means to feed the heart while at the same time denying its neediness. Existing in such chronic conflict eventually makes us sick. The sickness develops through our inability to live in relationship with our own hearts, with others, and God. The tragic paradox is that which we did to protect us, hiding our hearts, becomes the manner in which we ultimately harm ourselves. We end up developing a compulsion to avoid the heart. We focus using the brain to find ways to escape feelings. We use our stomach to distract us from feelings. We use our genitals to escape a vulnerability and neediness. We have our skin touched without our heart being affected. In other words, we try to spend ways uh, experiencing life to the fullest without bringing the instrument feelings to the experience that is most deeply touched, most deeply affected, and most treasures uh, a full life. So if the heart is cut off, those things which are created to serve the heart don't function as they're created to. All compulsion or addictive reactions follow a predictable downward course. A refusal to experience the heart, a lust for self-sufficiency, sustained attempts to avoid feeling life on life's terms, deepening despair, attempts to change because of that despair, a reliance on willpower to exact change, subsequent failure, and finally, apathy towards oneself and the assumption of apathy in others and God. That's the sequence of events that create the descent into isolation. Self-cures that are used to avoid feeling, needing, desiring, longing, and hoping 
can become a compulsive avoidance of the heart. No matter how much a person experiences relief from feelings by using a multitude of self-cures, whether they be alcohol, narcotics, sex, risk-taking, or exercise, there is no cure that allows one to avoid the heart forever. In avoiding the heart by whatever means, one has an experience of relief that eventually fades, leaving him or her in the same position they were in beforehand, except with a deepening and a greater sense of despair, which requires a greater need to escape. Our chosen ways to escape what the heart is feeling become repetitious over time, as we remember how that method has aided our getaway previously. Sadly, this cycle is repeated continuously in order to avoid the voice of the heart that continues to whisper even in the depths of our attempts to stifle it. At an early age, most of us, somewhere along the line, learn to hide, deny, or dissociate from our uh, God-created response ability. As I mentioned in the second uh, podcast, response ability, the ability to use how we're created to speak what's happening in us, and also to take ownership of what we're saying is where we get the experience that we think of in grown-up ways, responsibility. Not the adult version, the false adult version of responsibility means that you, you grow up and you're no longer a child, but true responsibility comes from being a child who's actually grown up and still has kept a voice. So as I, I'm going to repeat myself here, at an early age, most of us learn to hide, to deny, or to dissociate from our God-created responsibility. In doing so, we become reactive and we attempt to take too much control of our lives and the people in them. It's called reactivity. These maneuvers leave us living life backwards. We do so that we can have, so that we can become somebody, like I mentioned earlier. But a life that follows a do, have, be mantra is actually lived as a series of reactions. Reactions are actions based upon the actions of others. Rather than being responsible, which means we're making our own choices, we watch others to see what we're going to do next. In other words, one's attitudes and behaviors are not one's own as much as they are opinions and actions we learn to take in order to fit in with powerful and scary people. When we fall into living life backwards, we live so that others will worship us like us, fear us, be jealous of the stuff we gather, never leave us, desire to copy us, and on and on. When we lose the trust in and capacity for responsibility, which is be, do, have, we have subordinated our lives to the reactivity of do, have, be. Most of the time, we do not even realize we are living in reactivity. We are simply and tragically following the rules we made up to be lovable in an unsafe world. These made-up rules often carry the illusion that performance will create this, the desired end of getting to live in relationship with self, others, and God. When living under the guidance of reactive rules, we ultimately live in a way that never allows us to be known. Because we are created to be known from within, if we do not live from our hearts, we cannot experience true fulfillment. Which leads us to the conclusion of today's podcast. I call it the great sadness. 
that doesn't have to be so. A great sadness is that the heart becomes a rejected treasure that a child hides when they do not experience themselves as pursued and affirmed. When the heart is experienced as the enemy of the child, then God too can become intuitively and improperly feared or distrusted. That is, approval of God will matter more to the child than the love of God. Rejection by caretakers becomes a rejection of being human, which involves disavowing the emotional and spiritual creature God created. The child intuitively and mistakenly concludes, how I was created in heart must be a mistake. If the caregiver doesn't do the simple work of affirming how the child is made so they'll belong and confirming what the, bring, the child brings into life in terms of, of their gifts, simple though they may be, then the child does not experience a sense of mattering. And as I spoken before, the need to belong and the need to matter, the two most powerful needs of a human being. And they, the, the need to belong and the need to matter is addressed through the simple eye-to-eye, voice-to-voice contact that says, you're made, you're made right, you're made well, and so you can belong and matter. But once a child has decided how I was created in heart must be a mistake, the child develops cognitive and defensive structures, sadly, that are constructed to distrust, discredit, and avoid the heart. We begin to find our worth in performance or externally valued behaviors rather than simply being present with our hearts, others, and God. Religion can be an especially insidious way to hide a relational need of God through performance and uh, false behaviors rather than a ritual in which one pours from the fullness of their hearts. As a, as a poor replacement for, for being fully present with a faithful God, we can start to perform for others and God in an, in an attempt to, love, to earn love by, quote, being good, unquote, or, quote, doing the right thing, unquote. We can begin to perform for God in a way that creates a very painful paradox. That which we do to earn the right to express our hearts actually takes us farther and farther away from how we are created by God. The truth is that God created created us to be present with our hearts, not to perform as a way of gaining the right to become who who we are created to be. Remember that both Abraham and Mary responded to God's, God's calling with a simple statement of presence, Here I am, exposed truthfully as you created me. True performance is to be an expression of true presence, not a way to have to earn love or permission to live a life of heart, neither of which can ever be earned. The great sadness is how far we can remove ourselves from the truth of how we we are created. But the great joy is how close we are to the beginnings of returning to the solution of being who we're made to be, doing what we're made to do so we can have what we're made to have. It is 18 inches away from our forehead. One of the longest journeys we take is only 18 inches to reach back into how we're created and to begin again living who we're made to be. And if we can see who we're made to be, we can wind up doing what we're made to do, and we will be 
draw more together. And remember, as we close, together we can always do more than we'll ever do apart. When we lose heart, we will go into isolation. We're isolating from how we're created, isolating from others who were created to be connected to, and the greatest sadness of all, isolated from the God who created us to live fully, love deeply, and lead well lives that leave an imprint of goodness upon the hearts of others. So as we close, thank you for listening. I hope that you will uh, be urged to get the book, Keeping Heart, and I look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank you again. Bye-bye. 